Hey guys, welcome to the You Make the Scene podcast. My name is Josh. This is episode number 27. This week on the episode, I've got a great conversation with Corinne Campbell. Um, for those of you that aren't familiar with her, she has been in the music uh, industry as a kind of an independent artist for about 10 years. She spent some time with the U.S. Army. She's a combat veteran. Um, she's got a really amazing story to tell. Um, I had a great conversation with her, had a lot of fun talking to her. Um, we talked about everything from, you know, being in the military to mental health to um, her love of bass nectar. And we talked about some tracks on the new album. Uh, she has a album coming out early next year. So 2021, but she's releasing singles all along the way. So every month there's going to be, um, new music dropped from her. She's starting a, a new website so that fans can, you know, more deeply interact with her. Um, she's super, uh, active on social media as well. But one cool thing that I found about all of this was the Greatest Hits album is a two-disc collection that is coming out next year. Um, the track listing on both discs is the same. The songs are shuffled up, but all of the same songs are on both discs. Um, one version is going to be a very orchestral kind of um, theatrical, if you will, version of the songs. And the other disc is all remixes, and you'll get a little grittier vocals. You'll get EDM influences and, and beats. Uh, you'll have more rock feel to them. Um, it's a really cool album. I've gotten to, to stream it myself, and I really enjoyed it. So let's jump into our conversation with Corinne Campbell, so um, basically what we'll do, uh, the first question is, is the same question that you get every single time you do an interview, um, and that's basically the introduction, you know, who are you, um, a little bit of background on you, um, and yeah, just kind of uh, kick us off. Yeah, well, um, I'm Corinne, and um, I have been a rock artist for about 10 years. I put my first EP out in may of 2007 um so that was like myspace days and that was where i you know really kind of cut my teeth in on you know being an independent musician um i've spent some time um you know working on my craft but then also i was a sponsored artist for the u.s army for about six years and actually worked with them as uh, i toured I was on the road 300 days a year, playing upwards of 240 to 50 shows a year um, at different events. I've done warp tour. I've done, um, you know, like major league sporting events like the NFL and the NBA. Um, so I've just, I've, I did a little bit of everything in that job. Um, I've been on warped for three seasons, at least uh, half a year or full tours for three years with warped. And you know, I've just been kind of coming out of that whole military experience and falling back into my own pathway, which is really what this album has kind of, it's all culminated into this. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's been a weird road. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I mean, especially I, I've been doing music journalism for uh, 15 or 16 years now. So, wow. you know, 
when you hear people's backgrounds, you normally get very similar, you know, similar backstories on started as a garage band or whatever. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. not many people have the the experience that you have when it comes to performing with, you know, the USO and and being able to to be on that level. Um, So, yeah, Yeah. that's a, a really cool dichotomy there. Yeah, it's a weird, it's almost like the Army was trying to be a record label for a little while. Um, <laughs> it didn't work very well, right. <laughs> <laughs> but they tried. And, you know, it's one of those things that um, I think, you know, this this dual disc has really been very therapeutic for me and kind of recovering from what some of that amounted to. But I really, you know, the, the friends that I have who are on major labels, um, it, it sounds like a lot of actually very similar struggles where you feel like the people who are marketing you like don't get you or don't appreciate your, you know, your artistry as much as you would like them to, or, you know, yeah. they're actually very similar challenges. Um, it's just the army was even less experienced in, in knowing what they were talking about, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's a, a good point. And I've brought that up with some people, uh, in the past about, you know, everybody thinks the goal is always that you want to be on a major label because you think that that's where the money is and, and things like that. Right. But it's so easy to get lost in the shuffle there or get assigned, mm-hmm. you know, to, to somebody that's supposed to promote you, but doesn't care about For your sure. music or doesn't understand the genre. So, yeah. you know, the, the DIY and indie thing, you have so much more control over who you are and how Absolutely. far you're able to go. So I, I think yeah. that's a, a perfect point there. One of my friends is in a, a pretty big metal band and they, you know, they used to tour like eight months out of the year. They would release almost an album a year and just really aggressive pursuance of their music career. And he was joking that he has made more from unemployment um, and like, you know, online um, kind of, you know, contracting work than he did as a tour musician. So um, it's pretty incredible. Yeah. It's insane. The, the royalty cuts that major labels take and, you know, Mm -hmm. Spotify giving only their small percentages and things like that. Um, Mm -hmm. People don't realize that, you know, when, when artists say that they want you to come to a show, it's because they know that's where they're actually going to make the money <laughs> because you're right. going to buy merch. And a lot of that goes back to them. I have a, a friend that's mm-hmm. a, a rapper and he used to joke, he was on warp tour as well. Um, his name's mm-hmm. MC Lars. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. I know MC. <laughs> yeah. So um, he used to joke and still does to this day that he's a t-shirt salesman that happens to rap. <laughs> Because that's he's where got a good is. sense of humor that one. <laughs> yeah, he's one of my favorite people. Such a cool yeah, dude. he's so great. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So, um, let's talk a little bit about. I mean, you you touched on it, but talk a little bit about the experience um, that that you went through with the USO and and that sort of. Um, it, it's a very rigorous tour schedule, right? Right. And so I wasn't actually with the USO. I was with U.S. Army Marketing, which okay. I know to a lot of regular people are like, and. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but it is very different um, because the USO deals pretty much exclusively with famous people. Um, gotcha. And so I wouldn't have like qualified for USO. Um, I did, you know, support some famous people um, while I was in the military, like if they needed somebody in their backup band or they needed on, on right. stage personality or whatever. But um, but for the most part, I was working for actual army marketing. So 
my job was essentially to go out and perform music, but it was really more like community morale, I think, more than anything, just kind of softening the edge of the appearance of a soldier. And I think a lot of that is because, you know, the combination of 9-11 and, you know, gaming like Call of Duty, uh, I think a soldier starts to sound like a very specific kind of person. Right. Um, and that was even something that I resonated with because I was an active duty soldier. I'm a combat veteran, but I'm not necessarily what anyone would think is the personification of a soldier, you know? Yeah. So that was really more what that gig was. Um, so yeah, we did, we did work three times, but I also, besides those summer months during the school years, I would be playing at high schools or, uh, even at college events. Um, I would sing the national anthem and sometimes do um, things like in the in the stadiums for these various, you know, major league sporting events. Um, but really, and most of it wasn't in uniform, but some of it was. So it was really just kind of where can we? It was almost like being like a musical spokes model, so to speak, okay. um, for lack of a better word, I guess. Um, <laughs> And I was just like, where can we put this girl to, you know, make the army look good? <laughs> um, so I did everything from, you know, talking interviews with, like, I, I did an interview with Carol Costello on CNN um, about, you know, it was supposed to be about music, but it ended up being about the military glass ceiling, which was not what I was expecting for that <laughs> right. interview, which was super fun. Um, <laughs> and so everything from like talking and speaking engagements like that to, you know, just getting in a high school. Um, and I, I really loved playing, you know, more inner city schools or um, schools that were kind of out of the, in the middle of nowhere because I just got to bring music and concerts to, you know, some of these kids have never been to a show. It's never been either fiscally possible, geographically possible, um, and really made a lot of connections with them, you know, just through, you know, they would hit me up later on IG and it just taught me a lot about interacting with fans and realizing that everybody just wants to talk to someone that they look up to or respect, you know, and it really did teach me a lot about how to be that kind of artist that is, kind of contributing to someone's life in more than just a musical way. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, um, you know, one of the big keys is finding the way to connect, whether it's through the lyrics themselves or whatever, but mm. finding the way to connect to those people so that they can see, you know, like you said, that there's, there's more to it. Right. Exactly. And I think it was actually, it was a unique experience in that, I was playing music for kids who had no idea who I was. Right. So it's not like when a band goes to a show and they play and everyone's singing. Um, I had to play songs that these kids didn't know. And I had like 45 minutes to get them on board, yeah. with, you know, uh, and some of them didn't like rock music. <laughs> so um, it was, it was definitely, it, it brought my live performance chops up a whole notch for sure, because um, you know, I had to get the crowd going and I had to get them to care, even if I wasn't their kind of music and they had no clue who I was. Um, so it was a really good challenge. Yeah. And I, I think that's something that maybe gets lost on a lot of people because when you go to a show specifically, you know, like whoever you're going to go see a day to remember or whoever, mm -hmm. like you have a pretty good idea when you look at that lineup, 
what those other bands are going to sound like, or right. you're probably familiar with them. But when it's somebody touring to your school for a, mm-hmm. you know, for a pep rally or whatever, it's like, right. Well, who is this? Yeah. What's going on? Like, right. Yeah. It was really funny to kind of get the reactions because I mean, a lot of kids, like all they knew is that there is something army related going on at a pep rally at the end of the day or whatever. Um, and so to just see their faces when they came in, you know, yeah. and then to try and to get them on board by the time they left, um, it, there was something really cool about that. And, and the combos that I had with them after, like, it was never as fun as it was like at the end of the show. And then after I left, um, because I just got so much just raw feedback. These weren't fans of mine that are just going to tell me anything I want to hear. Um, and that was really great. Like if they reached out, it was because there was something very specific that touched them. And so it, it enabled me to have really genuine conversations with people about things they like and didn't like. And um, it kind of took that whole like enamored up on a pedestal thing out of it. Yeah. And I, I think that's, a really cool experience that, you know, a lot of people don't get to experience, um, right. you know, is, is a, for lack of a better term, a completely virgin crowd to your mm-hmm. music or maybe to your style of music. And then right. to find out, okay, I did connect with, you know, 30% or whatever percentage. Right. A, yeah. Yeah. It's a pretty cool yeah, little, little deal there. It was a nice social experiment. <laughs> I wouldn't pursue it again, right. but it was nice. It was, there were good things to take from it for sure. <laughs> and it, I mean, it, it's, a, <clears throat> excuse me. It's a, um, just a different approach into the, into the scene, you know, like most right. people grow up playing, playing house shows or whatever. And right. you had this instead, like yeah, I was exactly. signed by the army to go to schools <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it was, it was definitely a little weird. And, um, you know, obviously being military affiliated and going on warp tour is, you know, not everyone was totally into the idea. Yeah. There are, <laughs> For, there are some, uh, anti-flag yeah. fans and such. <laughs> right. There's definitely, there are parties of conflicting interest that attend warp tour, um, and, you know, of course, Rage Against the Machine has done works before mm-hmm. and, like, even gotten people to throw water bottles at recruiters and things like that. Right. Um, so it was intimidating. And, you know, the Army, of course, couldn't go without putting my face, you know, the size of a billboard on a truck, you right. know, so that didn't help either. Um, <laughs> so, but it was, it was actually, it was really cool. And I was surprised at how many not just the fans, but also the crew and the bands were willing to just get to know us as, as people. Um, you know, obviously there wasn't acceptance a hundred percent of the time, but, um, it was, it really taught me a lot about the music community and I was able to get more into just understanding how the, the music community outside of my little bubble operated and, you know, get to know so many cool people. So it was, that was definitely a really remarkable piece of it. And, you know, Warps has its own vibe even right. amongst the band and crew and, you know, the way that everyone kind of coalesces <laughs> into one like giant being. Um, that was really a cool thing to be a part of. Yeah. And Warped was always one of my favorite things to cover. I, I did mm. press for them for like mm, probably 13 years. 
um, oh, nice. covering the Noblesville, Indianapolis area event, and then Very I'd go cool. up to Chicago and stuff from time to time. But um, yeah, Noblesville is one of my most saturated. That that city is the most saturated city of my mailing list that's been retained over the years because I played at high schools there like several times. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I love, I love that area. All, yeah, I don't want to say all of Indiana is very military positive because, you know, there's areas that aren't. But I, I yeah. think that we do, Indiana does seem, and that I guess maybe it's because I was born and raised here, you know, and, and mm-hmm. kind of have a little bias. But we do seem to to support the armed forces a little stronger than, than some of the other areas. We're a little more accepting in that um yeah that different yeah. differentiation of views so um, right yeah well and i love the midwest i'm from minnesota originally um but you know my brother's in madison and i have more family in chicago and so you know just anywhere midwest i'm probably going to get along you right. know and we're we're bred to get along so that's kind of part of it anyway <laughs> yeah and that, <laughs> but, that's something i've joked with people about is like Everybody says, you know, oh, Southerners are are typically some of the nicest people or whatever because they're so laid back, quote unquote. Mm. And I'm like, mm, have you been to the Midwest? Because like exactly. Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, Kentucky, like you're not going to find people that aren't willing to, to give you a wave or, you know, yeah. ask you how your day is, whatever. Like we're pretty sociable people. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, I definitely. Um, I, I Yeah. I'm an instant sucker for just Midwest hangs all the time, yeah. you know? So I, I did love that I got to tour there a lot. Um, I toured, you know, the Midwest a lot more than, for example, the West Coast. Right. Um, I did end up touring to all 48 Conus states. Nice. Um, and, yeah, so that was cool to see a lot of the country, but I also, like, really loved coming back to home. <laughs> right, right. And there, you don't want to say it, but there's definitely some states that you're like – why? Why are we here? Like, <laughs> what? Idaho. I'm going to throw them under the bus. It's like, what's in Idaho? Why are we touring here? Coeur d'Alene is in Idaho. It's sure, beautiful. That's the only place anybody ever says other than Boise. <laughs> like, right, right. There, there's two yep. cities. <laughs> well, fortunately for me, I am absolutely obsessed with mountains and mesas. Mm-hmm. And we drove everywhere. And the Army doesn't have a tour bus like we didn't do a tour bus thing so we actually were in this like gigantic dually um huge chevy truck (laughs) and then we were trailing a um like a 26 foot trailer yeah so and i had to drive that like as much as everyone else did you know it's the army you don't get special treatment right just because your face is on the truck you're driving (laughs) right so um but so i found myself just like absolutely fascinated and it's so funny because i wouldn't have considered myself like you know the most patriotic person in the whole world but there was something about going to all of these states and seeing the textures and nature and the communities and just like seeing how different all of these different places were within just one country. Um, that I actually, I started to become just obsessed with that. Yeah. So yeah, but mountains and mesas were my number one. Like when we went up to the Northwest and drove through Mont- Montana or if we were driving through, we went to Phoenix a lot in LA a lot. So driving through that corridor, I was just like, this is amazing, and I am tiny, and I do not matter in this scope of this huge area, and I love that feeling. 
Yeah, and I think that's something that, whether you're a musician or not, that's something that, that people need to realize and remember a lot of times is that in the grand scheme of things, you're not that big, you know, like... Right, right. The world and is, your problems aren't that big. Right, the world is still going to turn. Exactly, yep. And so that that was really, that got me through some days, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, I, I definitely loved that aspect of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so talking about the album now, um, the greatest hits dual disc, um, it's kind of a, as you've said in this, uh, this, you know, the press release and and such, it's kind of a liberation project for you. Um, go into that a little bit. Like what, what feelings go into being kind of freed from the confines of, of the army box? I think, I mean, the biggest thing, and and I've always done my best to be truthful. Um, You know, obviously the the military had their talking points, um, but I always tried to find a way to make them actually resonate with something that was true and real for me. I would never say, like, even in that job, I was not going to say something that I didn't mean, you know? Um, I may only be saying the good parts of something (laughs) or, you know, but I always was trying to find truth in it. Um, I think, though, that, you know, one thing that I couldn't ever talk about was just how, um, you know, how I felt like I was in an environment of extreme sexism and ageism and how being a young woman in that environment was actually, it really worked against me as far as, you know, trying to do a lot of, of the work that they were asking me to. And, you know, even running my social media or doing um, some of the marketing, I, I was operating way out of my pay grade um, and doing a lot of things that normally someone of my rank would not have done. I was pretty low ranking, really, in right. consideration with everyone around me. And, you know, then also, you know, by the end, nearing the end of my term with them, um, you know, they started to want to remove my name off of everything because they didn't want me to be promoted. They didn't, and I don't mean promoted in rank, I mean promoted at all. Right. They wanted, they didn't want the face attached to it anymore. And for me, that was really frustrating because all of the music they were using, I, you know, recorded myself. The military didn't pay for that. I did it on my own time with my own money. And wrote the songs with no influence, you know, and they were more than happy to take that and use it and and really exploit it, but weren't willing to like put my name on it. And that was really, really odd to me. Um, it wasn't a, you know, it wasn't a military production. So there's, there was really no, there was just no fair and equal in my mind for that. Yeah. So having it packaged that way and really feeling like, they took that from me, but stripped my identity from it was just, I put my most vulnerable thoughts and feelings into those songs, the most real things about me and to have them no longer wanted to be associated with me was like, um, what, (laughs) you know? So that's why I felt the need, you know, all of these songs have now been, they had been repackaged by the military. They had been, you know, given out, I think we ended up distributing over a quarter of a million copies in my time there. And I was just like, these, these songs, these stories, my heart deserve better. And I was like, well, I don't want to just do like the same songs again 
which I'm sure like Taylor Swift is probably thinking about this <laughs> right. same problem. If only yeah, we're the same, you know, me and Taylor. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> but she's probably thinking the same thing is like, well, I can't just make another version of the exact same song. Like I'm not who I was then. Um, you know, my perspective on it is totally different. I've learned, I've grown. And so I decided, I was like, okay, well, how can I give these voices or give these songs a new voice, um, but in a way that's still going to be just as fun for the fans as it is for me, you know? Yeah. And um, that's kind of where this came from. So my past, I started as a cellist and I was a, I was brought up on a lot of classical music. And I was like, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to go to my roots on one of these discs and then um, I started to talk with a producer friend of mine who does a lot of sound cloudy stuff. And, you know, he's kind of up and coming. He was like, you know, what would be really cool is if you took that and sampled this. And he kind of did some work with one of the songs I had shown him that was orchestral. And he was like, this is, listen to how this would sound. He's like, it still works, even though it's not, you know, a rock song and it's not an orchestral version. It's a remix, but it, listen, it sounds great. And I love, I, I love bass nectar. I love Zed and Rez and I'm like totally into that stuff as well. And so I kind of looked at it like, you know, all right, all flies up in the wind. Like I'm just going to do whatever feels cool and have fun with it. And people are going to respond the way they do. And that's just what happened with this. And I really feel like the songs did end up you know, being rebirthed almost and having their own kind of personality and the messages that are in them were somehow like able to ring true again. And that was, it was really important to me. Yeah. And I, I think that something that's really cool about it and, you know, fans will be able to, to experience that, you know, with your release schedule, which we'll talk about here in a moment, but, um, you know, I, I got to stream the, the songs and, and kind of check them out. And it's really, I think it's really interesting and really cool the way that you did this because for me, some of those songs, the way the, the orchestral version hit is so much different than the way the remix hits that it's like, mm-hmm. it's almost an entirely different song, even right. though it's not, you know, and it, it was a really cool thing to, to hear. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. For me too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, cause I really, I brought in, you know, I worked with a lot of up and coming talent for this project. Um, cause I really, I wanted to take people that I thought could do something brilliant and just let them run with it. Um, I did compose, um, a lot of the string tracks that were on the orchestral versions, but then the producer I worked with on that did some additional composition and added more virtual instruments and really kind of brought it into its own. Um, and with the remixes, I, you know, I, I just loved messing around in that. Even I would be like, I don't have any idea what I'm saying, but I'd like my vocal to be like, da, da, uh, uh, right here. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And like, ex, you know, good producers know how to interpret what the heck the artist is trying to say. Um, but I was also surprised, like, you know, heavy, for example, it's very Halloweeny sounding and both of the arrangements sound that way. But like, remember me, you know, the orchestral version is almost like out of a Disney movie and the remix version is like, you know, underground UK trap, you know, it's yeah. just crazy. It's just so interesting. And um, it, it's, it's great when your music just kind of takes a life beyond you uh, because it really, it, to me, that feels like that's when it's a good song is when it can kind of 
live beyond your perspective of where you see it. Yeah, for sure. And I think there's not to blow smoke or anything like that. So don't take it that way. But uh, (laughs) on the cinematic disc, especially I noticed I was listening to it while I was working. So not, you know, paying attention, but not paying attention. You know what I mean? So I noticed a couple of those songs. uh, One that stuck out in my mind was not for sale. Mm. It legitimately like, if I wouldn't have realized that the TV wasn't on, I would have thought that I was watching a movie and that was a, a background track in the movie or oh, something. I was like, amazing. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm not. Yeah. Like that's just on, on my computer. What? That's so cool. Yeah, oh so. gosh. It, it's so funny. Cause the, the source of inspiration for a lot of the orchestral version, and, and there are a couple, I'm sure you heard, there's like one acoustic guitar song mm-hmm. and a couple, it's just cello, but for the big ones, um, I was like, okay, I want to feel like I am in Game of Thrones right, right. now. Like, I want to feel like I'm in Westworld, you know? And I was just shocked at what Aaron and my producer did with it. I He really took that and ran with it. And, you know, I, I'm, you know, also touched that you say that one because that particular song is, you know, it's the closer right. for the cinematic. And it's because it's just, it has such intensity. And I think it really... Um, if there's anything that closes out kind of the story of this, you know, greatest hits dual disc, it's that one. So that means a lot. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. I, it, it, like I said, it was one that, that really stuck out as it played through. And I was just like, wait, oh yeah, I'm just listening to a, to an album now. Like yeah, nothing so else is going on. So it was really cool. <laughs> um, Thank you. so yeah, let's talk about a, a couple of the songs, you know, um, well, let's talk about the release schedule. You're doing something pretty interesting, um, to release these songs throughout the year. Um, yeah. t- tell people kind of the plan for what you want to do with this. Yeah. Well, I was like, okay, first off, I'm a rock artist, so this is going to be all over the place anyway. So let's have some fun. Um, so because all of these songs are, you know, they're pretty, almost all of them, I think there's one variant, but they're all the same tempo and the same key. And so in theory, they could be identical, right? They're, mm-hmm. they're like sisters. And, uh, but they, obviously, as you've heard, like some of the interpretations go together and some of them are just drastically different. And I was like, well, how much fun would that be is to like A to B compare them, you know, as mm-hmm. they as they are born together, these fraternal twins, you know? Um, and so I just, I decided, I'm like, okay, well, um, it, I, I want to kind of roll this out slowly. And it's also giving me time to write the next actual album, you know, the rock album. Right. Um, so it's kind of buying me some time there as well. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I am, I wanted to roll it out slowly. I wanted people to be able to, kind of get a a hold on it and um i also just a side note i have um i'm I'm a co-founder of a company called entrepreneur and um we work with independent musicians and teach marketing and blah 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 so um i'm constantly putting my own music career up as a place of experimentation Mm -hmm. to the benefit of our community and i'm like okay i will like try some of these like Spotify strategies and I will try some of these advertising strategies and I will try, you know? Yeah. And, um, so, you know, people have been, I think a lot of musicians have been really confused about how do I create an album of work 
but somehow still play into this streaming game and play into this algorithm stuff and and whatever. And I was like, well, I'll try some things. Yeah. <laughs> you know? This, if there's any like album that I could, it would be this one because it's just so all over the place the way it is. Right. Um, and so, and yeah, so those two influences I think really are what kind of brought together is this idea of experimenting for, you know, my community so they can see what happens and I'm going to watch with them. And then also just the, the fact that I think it's going to take, you know, some effort for, for people to consume it and for the right people to find it. You know, I, I may end up with some fans that would never have been fans of, of me right. uh, without this project. So, you know, I want to give the album time to be discovered by those who would really appreciate it. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, having listened to, I think I got through all of them today throughout the day. Um, oh, but awesome. if not most of them, um, nice. but you know, I think that, there's definitely, like you said, there's going to be tracks, I think, that hook different types of people. Um, mm. So I, I think it will be a, an interesting experiment, like you said, to kind of, you know, throw them out, see what bites, see see how yeah. it, the strategy works. Because I think what a lot of people, especially in the digital age now, you know, back way back in the day when it was all label based and, and whatever, right. it was get it on the radio, it doesn't matter. But now right. it's you have to be very conscious of what you're doing, what moves you're making. And I think yeah. this will be a, a perfect example of how do I market this type of song? Like, where did it track the best? What can I do right. analytically to to make sure that I'm getting the best numbers that I can? Yeah. And I think, you know, it's also, too, just like the personification of, you know, I'm, I'm coming out of this album and I'm kind of doing whatever I want and I'm doing it because I can and because you know the army isn't going to tell me what to do anymore and I think that that's something that we all it's a better time than ever for us to kind of self-examine and say like okay who who are the people that are defining you that aren't you in your life and what would you do if they couldn't tell you anymore you know and yeah. so coming up with not just the fact that the music is alternate, but also that the release strategy is just like totally like, why is she doing that? Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I'm just like, you know what? All caution to the wind. I'm seriously just going to go bonkers on this. And it's funny how much more fun the whole process is when you're just like, I'm okay with whatever is on the other side of this. I'm just happy that I get to do it. You know? Yeah. Um, it, that true independence is really beautiful. Yeah, and, and from an outside perspective, it may be one of those things that is kind of how reckless is she going to be, you know, right. but they don't right. understand on the backside, I have a plan. Oh, for sure. Yeah, definitely. I And I'm, I think that is another positive thing that I took from my previous experiences that I learned a lot about big data and looking at data sets and looking at marketing as a data thing and you know, following the numbers. And it's really easy to quantify success and failure if you look at things in that way. And um, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing where the wins and maybe not as winnings right. <laughs> happen. Um, but all of that is just going to inform the next thing I do. And so, yeah, I just am embracing the adventure that is life, good or bad. Yeah. And um, so talking about the releases, Last yeah. week, uh, Find Your Way came out, the, the remix version. 
So yes. let's talk about that one a little bit specifically, since it's the the newest single, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. You know, kind of all aspects of it, I guess. You know, where was your head at yeah. with with the song, and then kind of what response have you seen with with what you've done on it? Yeah, well, I was really excited for this to be the first one um, because just in the same way that Not for Sale is in my mind a very strong closer because that'll be the last single that comes. Find Your Way was a very good opener in that it almost was like, it. it's so it's so strange that I wrote this song 10 years ago, but I, I really felt like it was speaking to me right now for exactly this whole, this whole thing, you mm-hmm. know? Um, it was like the narrator to this, this part of the story, which is so, um, it's just weird how sometimes we do that to ourselves. Um, but just the story of someone who's lost and needs to just pick a path and head down, go straight into it. Um, I think there's a lot of indecision um, and there are just a lot of things that can distract you from being like, okay, I can either stand here and think about all my options for the next 12 years <laughs> or however long, you right. know, or I can just pick one and either fail or succeed and then try another thing. And so it really made sense to, to open with this one and both the orchestral and remix versions, just, they felt like great openers to me. I loved how the remix has kind of an ode to like, it's the closest thing on the album that has what sounds like a, almost like a drum set, mm-hmm. um, far more expected beats, right. uh, more like pop beats than some of the other stuff that comes in later. So I was like, well, this is great. It, it's kind of an ode to like the rock band where from whence this came. And the orchestral version was just kind of, it was, it struck me the way that the producer treated the bridge, especially was just so it was so light. And I just felt like that was a great way to open the conversation as with this hope, you know, and this determination. Um, so I, I really love how both, it, how both of them came out and it's, it's going to happen this way. Every single, I'm going to be like, well, they're, but I love them equally. Right. <laughs> you know? Like a parent with children. Like, right. I don't love one of them better, but the remix definitely kind of edged a little bit ahead for me on this one. Um, just because it was so, um, it, it was just so, is dancey. Mm-hmm. I just kind of liked that. It was the first time I'd really heard my music interpreted that way. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it definitely has a, a very specific energy to it. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and I agree. I think it hopefully will set the tone for a lot of people as far as, you know, this is kind of the introduction of what this, this project is Right now. Let's, let's go into it. And, you know, as you release the rest, you know, I think that'll, if they were hooked on the first one and maybe wouldn't have been hooked on like time to let go, for example, or something like that, Mm -hmm. like, it's going to, I think, at least get people to come back and see, okay, she released another one. Let's check that out. You know? It, yeah. It kind of sets an arc, doesn't right. it? Yeah. yeah. I agree. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> I like that description. Let's roll with that. <laughs> yeah. So um, within within all of this, um, you know, I, I think one of the um, big themes uh, that I picked up on is – a lot of this, and it's been apparent throughout your your career, I think, um, you know, since most of these songs are from previously and whatnot, but um, mm-hmm. 
the the mental health awareness and things like that, I feel like come through very well um, in the especially mm-hmm. the orchestral um, side of mm-hmm. them. You know, there's a a passion to the words. You know what I mean? Like it, yeah. it's a very clear and honest conversation. It feels like that you're you're having through your songwriting. Thank you. Yeah, I really. Um, it's amazing how we don't prioritize our own mental health. Right. You know, and I'd be lying if I said that this, you know, the dual disc wasn't serving that. You know, <laughs> yes, the songs are getting their own voice, but that's also so that I can stay stay, stay sane. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, um, it was it was tough in the military. I was under a ton of pressure. Um, I was definitely kind of, you know, like I said, I was definitely operating outside of my pay grade normally someone of my rank would never have been responsible for as much as i was um there were a lot of things where you know the military was like well we're not sure how we're going to fund that like even the mailing list for my team you know and just connecting with these people via email they they couldn't get it to work so i was just paying out of pocket for things all over the place um, because I really just wanted it to do well. Right. And I was a part of it. And so it didn't matter to me that the military was like, well, we're not sure if we can pay. We'll be like, fine, I'll pay for it. Because I'm not going to be a part of something that isn't successful. Right. Um, what that does boil down to, though, is a lot of, of stress. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I actually, um, when I got out of the military, I was actually diagnosed um, with a bipolar, a triggered bipolar disorder, essentially, um, brought on by a lot of the stress and anxiety that I experienced in that position. Mm-hmm. And um, that was that was really scary because I didn't know what that meant. You know, yeah. um, I knew that I felt a little off the handle, but I, you know, I thought it was just stress. And really what it came down to was, um, you know, I, I ended up on treatment for a, a mild bipolar reaction as well as anxiety. And so now being, you know, finally like going to therapy, a exorbitant amount (laughs) (laughs) and, you know, getting on medication and then dialing some of that medication back. I think it really, like this project has really just been the rest of that heal, you know, and it was therapy in and of itself. Um, And I think that that's something that I would have had a really hard time grasping in the military. There was, there's obviously pressure to just push through and be strong and, uh, not be different mm-hmm. now. And especially not if everyone's looking at you. I remember when I got in that job almost right away, the sergeant major who was in charge at the time brought me in and was like, I don't even like you need to be absolutely beyond, you know, reproach. Like, I don't want to see you walking outside of a sidewalk. Like, you can't jaywalk. You can't nothing, right. you know? Um, and so it definitely didn't feel like it was like acceptable to pursue mental health, you know, treatment or even be aware of it. So, um, so yeah, I I think the combination of, of getting out and realizing how lost I felt, um, was really tough. And so along with my therapist and some, you know, some good medication and treatment, (laughs) um, this album has also been equally of that treatment for me yeah and you know that's one of our big focuses here at you make the scene is the the mental health awareness especially in the music industry Mm -hmm. you know we've 
we've lost so many incredible musicians due to different mental health issues and just, you know, the, the community as a whole, whether you're talking artist or fan base, like there's, there's so much more that needs to happen. Um, and not just in the music side of things, just in the world, um, getting rid of the, the stigmas and things like that. So it's, I think it's always really interesting to hear people's, um, perspective on it, you know, and, and like you said, mm-hmm. in the job that you were in at the time you were in it, like it, the taboo was there, you know, I can't do this because sure. of what that mm-hmm. image looks like. And I think that's the unfortunate thing regarding mental health specifically is I think that's how a lot of people feel. Um, even Definitely. from like friends and family, it's like, well, I can't go get help because what are they going to think? And ultimately, kind of like what you said at the the beginning is it's about prioritizing your mental health. um, Yeah. Because if you don't take care of you, who is? Right. Yeah. And it's especially difficult if if you don't at least start seeking, if if you can't be self-aware, like your environment really impacts your ability to be self-aware. Right. And if there's a lot of people around you expecting certain things from you or, or expecting you to be something, it, it can null out your self-awareness. And so you may not even realize that you're getting close to an edge. And I think that was kind of the situation I was in. I, I just knew that I was supposed to be something and I would put that front on. And it was a true reflection of some things that were inside me, but it definitely was just not looking at the bad things, mm-hmm. you know? And then I would come crashing down when I got off the road and just want to sleep for two weeks yeah. um, because I had been pretending for so long and I was exhausted. Yeah. <laughs> Which I, I wasn't really aware that that was what was happening. You know, I thought it was just physical exhaustion. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's, it's more important for the people even around others to realize that it's not just on the individual to be self-aware because you may be disabled in that if you're not open and willing to accept their imperfections and willing to help them seek that. Um, it can be very difficult to even know that you should be looking for it. So, um, so yeah, I agree. I think it really starts with everyone just having a really, a, a, a very thick vein of acceptance throughout, you know, um, so that people can start to become aware of how their world is being impacted and, and get some emotional intelligence around themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And I, that's one thing that um, me and a couple different people on the podcast have talked about before with um, the the friend circle that you have, the support network that you have is mm. so, so important because absolutely. I think, unfortunately, it's so much easier for someone to be like, oh, that's just how Josh is and brush it off, not realizing right. that that's actually a cry for help or mm-hmm. that something else is triggering it. Right. Yeah. It, it's definitely when you feel like you can't speak and sometimes this can be due to, you know, like in my situation, it was largely to do with my rank and right. my position, but it could be, um, you know, just because you don't have someone around who enough who is actually close to you or, you know, there's a, there's a million different barriers to that stuff. And I mean, that's why you just don't know, like maybe you have a friend who says they're super open about mental health, but they're also very judgmental about, you know, someone's sex life, right. <laughs> you know, like they, they make judgments about their friends in that vein. 
and they don't understand that could be connected, you know? And so if you are placing judgment on one segment of someone's life, you may also be impacting their ability to rectify something else entirely different that you don't realize is related. So, yeah, yeah, I I think it's very important for, and I, I, you know, I said this a lot, even when I was talking to fans in the army and I didn't even realize that I was dealing with my own problems. But I, I was like, it's really important that, you don't even just think about what specifically you need to be sensitive with someone or like just be kind and open. And, you know, if someone is, is bad to you or is, you know, not someone that um, you think you should be around, like just get away from them, you know, but don't, I, I always tell them I'm pro pro and anti anti in mm-hmm. <laughs> that I'm all for if if you believe heartily in something and it's positive and it's because you are for something then I'm for you expressing that right but if your pro is really an anti someone else I'm not for that um, and I think if we could learn to express ourselves whether it is emotional or political or you know whatever fiscally whatever if we right. could learn to be pro pro and anti-anti, uh, I think that we would make a lot of progress in people being able to have real and true communication. Yeah, yeah, I I absolutely agree, um, and I think that's one of the beautiful things about music. You know, bringing it back to the album and and music in For general sure. is music is the I think anyway because maybe it's most close to me, but it's mm-hmm. to me the number one way for most people to not feel like they're alone anymore when they have an artist that talks about a similar, you know, issue or a similar event or whatever that they can relate to. It's, it at least starts to open that door of, okay, I'm not the only one that's experienced this. Right. It's a matter of us being able to finish opening that door and talking about it versus just listening. Yeah. And that's, um, if you listen to heavy, Mm -hmm. either version of heavy, (laughs) Um, that is very, and the reason I told you it's very Halloweeny, but the reason why is because it, it really, when I wrote it was almost like a, a coming out of a cave in my own head, you know, a very scary place of, of dealing with that awareness. And it talks about monsters in your head, you mm-hmm. know, and how you have to crush them. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know, that, I think that's, that's something that music it can do that. And it's amazing because I wrote that before I realized I had a problem, you know, mm-hmm. but it expressed it for me. And so I, I 100% agree with you, of course, because uh, my music has revealed things that were going on in my head before I even really knew why they were there. Uh, and that's, that's been an incredible way for me to express myself. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that probably more so than just you, like musicians in general, artists in general, um, you know, any, any creative type. I think the, the beauty of creating art when it's pure and honest art is that it taps into a subconscious. And like you said, you, when you wrote the song, you had no idea what those issues truly were, that they were really affecting you. But now looking back, it's like, Oh, I know what was happening. Like I get this now. Right, right. It's like reading a diary, you know, yeah. when if you read your high school diary and <laughs> read about your teenage frustrations and you're like, I don't understand why my parents are this way or I don't know why my friend did this. And then as you're an adult, you're like, oh, I no, I do. I know. 
Yeah. yeah. Well, that's, <laughs> so I, I joked with a friend. Uh, I joked with a friend not too long ago. He was yelling at his kid about doing something. I was like, man, I've known you for 30 years. You used to do that same stuff. And exactly. you're just mad about it now because it's you. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Well, and if, if we weren't to grow and learn and become new people, like then what would this life be for? Right. You know? Yeah, absolutely. But it is funny how sometimes we kind of need that that smack in the butt to be like, oh, yeah, I I wasn't always exactly who I am in this moment. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Another track I wanted you to, to talk a little bit about is uh, What You Wanted. Yeah. Wow. That one's, that one's aggressive too. Uh (laughs) That is, that was written about, uh, one of the men particularly responsible for where I felt pinned in the military situation. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, he was kind of in charge of a lot of the marketing for um, what I was doing. And, Um, he was just very combative and I constantly felt like he was trying to come for me. And, um, I, I guess I just, that was actually written more. That was one of the more recently written songs, both on, uh, greatest hits, but I just, I, I felt so frustrated that I felt pinned and out of control and that I wasn't allowed to somehow rectify this problem in my life, you know? Um, so yeah, I mean that what you wanted in pieces were actually written at a, around the same time about the same individual, um, and he's not in that job anymore. He got fired, <laughs> but he was there for as long as I was there, um, and he was he was condescending and sexist and ageist and um, manipulative, and there were even situations where um, you know he would basically, and now it's a word that everyone's using, but I was essentially quarantined. I was, you know, everyone was instructed not to speak to me because of a conflict that he and I had. Mm -hmm. And I was low ranking so he could do that. And it it was just mental torture and anguish. So those two songs, but very specifically what you wanted, especially, um, you know, there's some high notes in there. And part of it is, I really need to get this out (laughs) as high and as loudly as possible. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, but that was stemmed from some very specific anger. Um, And a lot of my songs aren't necessarily about one person or just about me or, um, but what you wanted was very pointed and uh, as well as pieces. And I, I wanted like to like duct tape him to a chair and just, scream those lyrics at him um, because I felt like he was a, a very big part of where my mental health started to really struggle in that situation. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's one of those situations where, especially in the military, the chain of command is so defined that it's like, mm-hmm. I can't go over his head because I have to go through him to get over there. Yep. And so yeah. the, like you said, being pinned down, you know, my, my dad was in the military, so I, I understand some of that. And, you know, it, it's frustrating regardless of the situation, whether it's military or not, when, mm-hmm. okay, but who can I go to about this person without going through this person to get to that, you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, I think, a almost self 
realization moment when you go, you're causing this stress and I don't need it, you know, but how do I, like you said, how do I, how do I vent? What can I do? (laughs) Right. Well, it's very frustrating when you feel immobilized, Mm -hmm. you know, and you feel like the exact reason why you're moving stopped is because of this individual and that individual has control. And you, even if you can identify what the problem is and identify a solution, you still can't, Right. you know, um, you're silenced, you are controlled, you are, you know, rejected, whatever it is. It can be very, very frustrating when you're like, I can't even start to work on myself because you're keeping me stuck here. And that is, you know, very specifically what that one is about. And I, I feel like a lot of people go through that in their lives where, they feel like someone has the upper hand and they feel as though they can't escape or they can't fix their, you know, their own feelings about the situation because the situation is wrong and it's not a perspective problem. It's a, you need to get out problem. Right. And they feel like they can't. Right. Um, that's, that's a really tough position to be in. So hopefully they'll, they can hear this song and scream their, <laughs> their lungs out with me and it'll bring some relief until they can figure it out. Yeah. And I, I think that's, that's the key is, you know, it's, it's perseverance in a time where you don't feel like you can. Right. Yeah. It's a very difficult place to be. For sure. And then I think the, the last song I want to touch on, um, is time to let go. Hmm. This one's really heavy. Oh, man. Actually, I think all my songs are heavy. And, like, <laughs> when I was younger, I just wrote all my songs in, in like, pretty positive keys. Right. So that no one could tell. Um, but, yeah, so this is actually a combination of multiple relationships in my life. Um, I actually, I was... Uh, my mom and I were abandoned by my biological father when I was a baby. And, um, he basically like, he took off. I was like maybe two, I'm not sure. And never heard anything from him. And he popped back into my life. Like right when the the statute of limitations ran out on child support payments, (laughs) not, I'm sure not, uh, coincidentally, he popped back into my life and he, you know, and there was this moment where I really felt like, oh, you know, this is half my identity. And now I get a window into that. And um, fortunately, my mom remarried when I was very young. Um, the man I called dad has always, you know, he was always there for me. I didn't feel like a hole was missing, but I did feel like biologically there's got to be something that I don't know. Right. So when this other guy came back around, um, you know, I really wanted to think the best of it. And I was like, oh, well, you know, people go through things. But I was also 21 at the time, so I didn't know anything about adult relationships. Right. And he came around and he put a lot of confusing things in my head. I talked a lot of bad things about my mother and about my grandfather and, you know, really made it sound like it was everyone else's fault. Mm -hmm. And for the longest time, I kept accepting that information and trying to basically without nullifying, you know, I was, I was trying to let both exist. Right. Be like, well, he's not a bad guy. He's, you know, he's not lying. It's probably just his perspective, even though I know that my mom 
raised me as a single parent for several years <laughs> and put herself through college and took care of me and did all the things, you know? Right. And there was a point where I had to let go of what I had hoped finding that, you know, that other half of me was going to turn into. Um, and so, you know, it, he still hits me up once in a while in a really awkward way on like <laughs> my, my artist socials and stuff. And, um, you know, he really does want to try to come back, but I, I just felt like, you know, this is, if I'm going to be me and I'm going to be who I am, I can't have you around because you are conflicting with everything I know to be true in my life and not in a positive way. Yeah. Um, but it was hard. It was, it was a really difficult decision to make. Yeah. And I think, you know, obviously not here to judge, but the thing that I picked up on is, um, it, it seems like he played a very narcissist role in that where, whether he was the victim or not, he's going to make it seem like he's the victim. And I think that's what a lot of people um, don't always realize when when people come back. They, you know, like you said, yeah. I'm trying to believe him. But at the same time, it's like, but should I, you know, like, right. Which, am I a which version of the story is true? <laughs> right. Um, well, and am I betraying my mother by right. allowing him any word whatsoever? And she was never that way. I was fortunate that she never spoke poorly of him. She never made me like, all I knew is that he was gone. Right. You know, and that I had a new dad now and I was fine with that. They got married when I was five. So I was, you know, not even aware of this other person, except that my parents, you know, were truthful with me from the beginning. They never made me feel like my dad was my biological father, but you know, I felt like, gosh, this woman has been just a pillar for me. And you know, in order to accept this person, I have to essentially betray what I know of her. And that's very, it's just a very difficult thing to equate in your mind. It's like, you can't have the world in both these ways, (laughs) you know? And um, I knew what I knew. Uh, And I knew that, you know, my mother and her father, my grandfather were just, you know, fearlessly dedicated to taking care of me. And, you know, someone who said that their motivations were anything other than that, it just didn't make sense. So as much as I was hoping that, you know, like, you know, he's a musician and his, his father was a musician and his father was a musician and, you know, he's got musicians all across his family. And I think there was a part of me that really wished that there was some kind of identity I could find over there, but um, it just ended up being far too toxic and it was heartbreaking, but I had to, I had to let him know. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's something that, you know, again, is kind of a a testament to your self-awareness is that while you may want something and probably want it pretty badly that, you know, there, like you said, there's maybe something over there for me to, to define how I became who I am or, you know, my musical talent or whatever it is, but being self-aware enough to know that, this is really toxic and I'm not going to benefit from whatever potential there is. Right. And in theory, neither would he, right? right. Like seeing even he's like a decent guy and like just had a really bad judgment at the moment. Right. <laughs> I would resent all that information mm-hmm. from him forever. I would either believe it, which would cause resentment in another direction or I'd resent him. Yeah. And so it would have been, it would have been bad for both of us. 
you know? Yeah. Um, it's really hard to make those decisions, but I think when you get there and you, you finally make it, you're like, I did the right thing, you know? And so sometimes you just have to trust yourself and push through something uncomfortable so that you can believe in yourself again, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that's almost everything that we've got. Um, obviously, <laughs> uh, COVID has really messed up everybody's plans for 2020. For but, sure. <laughs> but other than your your singles coming out, you know, the, the timeline for that, what plans do you have? Are you planning like some live stream stuff since we're not able to, to really meet and gather? Um, just yes. kind of what's your, your plan throughout the rest of the year? Well, to be honest, I... Oh, gosh, the COVID affected, you know, some of the production and all mm -hmm. of this album as well. Um, and so everything has run behind schedule. But yes, um, I'm actually launching a, a membership site for my, you know, some of my biggest fans. I mean, there will be free versions of it as well. But essentially, I'm going to be playing for them and talking with them and just spending as much time as I can tapping into the people who have supported me for the last 10 years, like tapping into their minds and seeing what they want. Um, because I mean, this is really a tribute to, to them, the ones who have been here all this time, like patiently waiting this crazy army stuff and, you know, right. seeing my album re-released and they're like, I already have that album. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know? Um, and so, yeah, I, I plan to spend most time online, like, talking with people and providing them with some entertainment to help fill their schedule so they don't have to watch Tiger King again, you right. know? <laughs> um, and I think it, I actually am kind of thankful for that as, as crazy as some of this is. Um, I, I see more and more artists who are like, okay, I'm just going to go live in my kitchen and talk to, to my fans, mm -hmm. you know? And there's an intimacy that we're somehow able to find by not being able to touch each other. Right. <laughs> right. Um, and that actually is really kind of incredible. So I'm just going to be trying to find as many ways to do that as possible is just be available and, you know, learn as much as I can about all these fabulous people <laughs> yeah. because um, there's just so much time to do it right now. Um, I, one of my favorite things is, um, you know, I've been, I've been on Twitter since early 2008 and that was where a lot of my first, um, interaction with a lot of my fans was. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I know the people that I've known on there as fans for however, for, you know, 12 years now, I know their screens, I know their faces, I know where they're from. I know some of their family details if they've shared them. Um, some of them have talked to you about their relationships or whatever. Right. And when I would tour, I would see them. And that was, it was so cool to be able to be like, oh, name, face, real life, like here we are, IRL, you know? Yeah. And so what I see this is as an opportunity to do a lot more of that, you know? And be like, all right, I'm taking down your name, your face, I got you. I'm going to see you, you know, yeah. um, and make plans with these fans to connect in real life once we can. Yeah, um, it's a great time to do that. Yeah. And I, I think you're, you're absolutely right. And you can kind of tell um, not to throw any bands under the bus or anything, but you can <laughs> tell the difference between the bands that are actively trying to stay connected to their fans and do mm -hmm. things for their fans. And the ones that have kind of just accepted that they're not going to be on tour or whatever and just seem to have kicked back. You know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Okay, well, I don't have to engage, so I'm not going to, versus other bands where it's, hey, guys, I'm just making lunch today, but I'm going to go yeah. on Instagram Live. Like, let's talk. Right. So, and this isn't an ego thing, like, you should care about me making my lunch. It's just, you know, if you need a friend right now, right. here I am. Right. Yeah. It's funny, too, that I think that there is something broken about the industry that has taught artists to segment themselves that way. And, um, you know, they're used to being on for tour and off when they're not on tour. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that that's that's a shame, you know, because it it really turns the fan into a commodity instead of a community. Right. Um, And you can always tell that, like. I, uh, I love Highly Suspect. They're one of my mm-hmm. favorite bands. Um, like, not of all time, because I just found out about them a couple of years ago. But, <laughs> right. you know, they're on the very short list. And um, if you go to a Highly Suspect show, the, the people like each other, even though they don't know each other. Yeah. Because you're like, well, oh, if, you're in, if you like Highly Suspect, you must be good people. Like, I'm here for it. Yeah. And the types of artists who have those types of communities are the ones who are online right now and the ones who are still staying in touch. And, um, I, those are my favorite kinds of artists. Those are the artists that I look up to and respect is because, um, they just, they realize that it's not simply, you're not just a performer, you're an artist, you're sharing yourself and that's part of the job. And, you know, the fact that they love that and embrace that means that their artistry is just, that much more sincere to me anyway and so yeah I love to watch that yeah for sure and it kind of goes into I just talked to a a band uh, their episode just went live yesterday actually called Till Morning and we were talking they're based out of Chicago they're a smaller band but um, I was talking to to Devin their lead singer and we were talking about kind of that same thing and how some bands are trying to you know, they need to make money and I get that. And, you know, I don't want to take money out of their pockets, but at the same time we were talking about how so many people don't know when their next check's coming. So for you to, to launch this merch and be like, Hey, we need support because we had to let our crew go because we couldn't tour or whatever. Like we get it, but we don't have money, you know? Like, so he was talking about that and, and, uh, he threw out, he's like, you know, if somebody hit me up and they were like, Hey man, I'm really digging your band. I'd love to get a shirt, but I just, I can't right now. He goes, I'll sell it to you at cost. You know what I mean? Like just because you're wanting to support me, I'll give you my merch at cost if that's what it takes to, to keep you interested or whatever. So, right. Yeah. I thought that was really cool. cool. Yeah. I definitely, I've been doing that lately with um, new fans who are messaging me on Facebook Mm -hmm. um, or IG. I've been, I basically, I have, I, you know, now that Gilded, the last like actual full length album I put out, I've got like, I did a, like this limited run of limited edition copies and they've just been like in my closet forever. Right. Um, Cause I didn't sell like the last 50 of them or whatever it was. And I was like, if you want it, like, you know, you can pay anything you want. Right. So if you want to pay $0, you know, just give me the $5 so I can ship it to you. But other than that, like, I'm not. I don't care. Like, I just wanted you to have some. And it's not like people are using CDs, but it's more of a memorabilia thing. Right. You know, I'll sign it and I'll put in a bunch of cool other stuff with it too, just so that they get, like, it's a little joy, you know? Um, and, and how cool is that story It's a story important to time tell. to do that. Yeah. It's just a fun, like, we just need joy right now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so if I can do that, I'm going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you. 
Yeah. <laughs> so um, the last thing that, that we're going to do before I give you time to to plug everything, um, <laughs> I've been doing just these random questions for the final question just to, to you I know. I love random. End, end on ridiculous notes and stuff like that. Oh, so, man. Here we go. So uh, for yours, <laughs> because of, of like the cinematic and orchestral um, uh, album and, and the crossover with kind of a remix, I'm going to give you kind of a two-part question. Number one is okay. if you could put your your music into any film, what film do you think that would be? And okay. then the second part would be if you could have any, like EDM, like you said, Bass Nectar or whoever, uh, any artist or DJ like that remix a song for you, who would that be? And is there a song you have in mind? Oh, my gosh. Okay, so film, I'm so torn, but I think I would have to pick The Professional. Um, because Because she was just such a badass. Yeah. In fact, my umbrella publishing company is called Matilda's Choice. Nice. And it's named for her. Yeah, it's named for that character. I've, I've loved, she was just such a badass. She, she, the reason why I named it Matilda's Choice is because she gave me such hope in my darkest times. I was like, girl, if she can do that, I'm fine. Right. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? So, um, so yeah, I would definitely say the professional, although it's a really tight second. I, I have this like little obsession with gone in 60 seconds mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because it's just so badass and the cars are so pretty and like, I'm like, y'all can go away with your Fast and the Furious. I want Gone in 60 Seconds, like, all day long. Yeah, um, So anyway, that would be the second one. If I if I had a song in that film, I'd be like, I'm officially badass. I can stop. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, yeah, and then, obviously, Bass Nectar. I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed with Bass Nectar, everything he does. I mean, it's so amazing. He's got this, like, long hair. He looks like a metal guy, mm-hmm. you know? And then he has these crazy awesome shows. The, you know, the production, the lighting, the lasers of, of his shows are great. But also, like, he he has orchestral composition influence in what he does. This is not just a guy that's, like, sitting behind a, a DAW, you know? Or, yeah. like, you know, posters or whatever. And, like, pressing buttons. and like, ah, that's cool. Like he, there is such intentional orchestration in what he's doing. And to be honest, that was something when I was listening to Bass Nectar um, while I was like conceiving this whole project, he was a huge influence in that because I was like, listen to his composition. Like this is like freaking Mozart over here. You know? <laughs> like this is Tchaikovsky. Like he's doing things so on purpose that if you translated all of these synths over to strings, it would sound like an orchestra. Like it would yeah. sound amazing. Um, so anyway, and he's just got a really great sense of, of time and spirit. And, you know, he's, he's very socially conscious as well. So just his, his front as a person online is also something that I, um, you know, really attracted to. Um, not like attracted, you know right. what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, you know, base nectar, call me, but right. no, I'm just kidding. Um, no, but you know, he just, he seems like a very sincere, passionate person. Um, and I just always respect that in an artist. Yeah. Awesome. Is there a specific song that you would be like, this is the one that I think he could just kill? Oh gosh. Yeah, I actually, so a song off my last EP that did not get put into greatest hits is called lights. And 
there's some screaming in that thing. I mean, not like screaming, screaming, <laughs> right. but like some of the highest notes I've ever recorded, um, or most aggressive high notes I've ever recorded. And I think he would absolutely kill it. There's so much room in the song for him to fill with his awesomeness <laughs> <laughs> because it's this like very like, you know, down tempo rock kind of, you know, like synthy rock kind of thing. So it's, yeah. I think it's already kind of in the vibe. But yeah, I think if, oh my gosh, now I'm just like thinking about what he could do with that. <laughs> I'm going to pass out. I'm so excited. Like, when is this happening? Well, you got to get in his DMs before he gets in yours. So <laughs> I know. I'm always messaging him. And I'm, yeah, he's not on Twitter very much. Right, right. <laughs> awesome. Well, I think that's everything I've got for you. Let's do the the typical fade out here uh go ahead and plug okay. obviously i'm going to link all your socials and things like that too but go ahead and plug all the the socials the website where people can get merch um you know anything Absolutely. anything you want to go basically my headquarters is corinnecampbell.com which is two r's one n no e <laughs> <laughs> and um in there obviously there's links to all the music and the socials um, basically my, if you search just about anything backslash Corinne Campbell, all one word, you can find me. Um, I'm actually kind of Googleable in a really creepy way as well. So, um, but if you go to CorinneCampbell.com, everything is on my site. Um, and I, you know, even contact me, you can message me there, everything. So, um, I would love to hear from anyone who just wants to chat today. Awesome. And then you'll be releasing singles throughout the rest of the year. And the, the actual yes. album, you know, quote unquote, uh, comes mm-hmm. out January of 2021, correct? Right. So the dual disc doesn't come until January, but my fans have pre-ordered and, um, you know, they get all the songs right away. And they'll, those will start shipping in May. Awesome. So people can get it super early if they're just like, yep, I'm in. <laughs> awesome. Well, like I said, we'll definitely, uh, you know, link all that stuff. We'll we'll be putting out blasts for you and, and everything. Um, I appreciate that. Yeah. And when you get your, uh, is it going to be Patreon or what kind of subscription site are you going to do? I'm coding it myself. Oh, okay. So it'll just be on my site. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So, I'm yeah, all about that data. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, when you get that Patreon up and running. Patreon doesn't give me the same data. <laughs> yeah. Well, when you get that up and running, you know, definitely let us know. We'll we'll help share that out for you and, you know, oh, try, to, you. Yeah. try to put that out there. That's amazing. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. Again, I appreciate your time. I really enjoyed yeah. the conversation. I think there's a, a lot of good. I did as well. Yeah, I think there's a lot of good information for, for fans and, you know, maybe new fans that are trying to get to know you, so. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much. And um, I'm assuming Beth, you'll have the link so I can also like yep. share, reshare it and everything. Yep. Awesome. Absolutely. Okay. Thanks so much for taking all this time with me today. I really appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. I appreciate you hanging out and hopefully, yeah. you know, COVID will go away and you can get out on tour and maybe we'll uh, meet up and yes. and do some stuff. Absolutely. There. Let's do it. <laughs> all right. Sounds good. Thanks, Thanks so much. Bye-bye. So Bye. And that was our conversation with Corinne Campbell. Uh, hope you guys enjoyed that episode. You know, I definitely enjoyed that conversation with her. Um, she was a ton of fun to talk to, and it's always great when you can talk to the artist about the, the details of their songs and kind of the motivation behind them and things like that. Um, but also I, I really appreciate her being so open and honest with her mental health battle. Um, you know, it's something that 
a lot of people struggle with. And um, May is Mental Health Awareness Month. Um, we did not go into this episode with a plan that that was going to be a a focus of conversation or anything. Um, it just kind of came out. So um, again, definitely want to thank her for that. Um, specifically, being you know honest and open and and kind of vulnerable with with that conversation um, regarding her battles that she's had and that she continues to deal with. Um, I think it's it's opening the doors, like we said. So um, that's really everything I've got for you guys this week. Uh, make sure that you do follow her on social media. I've got links to all of that in the description of the podcast. Um, she is super like active on social media too. So if you de- you know like want to interact with her or anything, definitely do that. Um, she's great about you know replying to to comments and things of that nature. So. Um, again, with May being Mental Health Awareness Month, I did want to touch on just briefly, um, you know, hopefully people are staying safe and, you know, COVID isn't totally ruining lives, hopefully, but, um, May is Mental Health Awareness Month and, uh, we came out with a line of merch that is specifically designed for the mental health awareness, um, kind of to, to be a, just a highlight, I guess, is the best way to put it. Um, so what we did is we've got a, a few designs that are um, going to be up for the month of May, and a portion of all sales of that line of merch uh, which includes some T-shirts, some tank tops. Uh, there's a really cool tote bag. Um, but a portion of those sales are going to go towards mental health awareness organizations, um, suicide prevention, things like that. So um, obviously, as I talked about in the episode, you know, I don't want to take money out of anybody's pocket if they can't afford to do it or, you know, whatever. But if you are able to and would like to support us and mental health awareness, head over to youmakethescene.com slash shop, um, and you'll find our mental health awareness collection. Um, that's pretty much everything I've got for you guys here today. So what we're going to do is we are going to take you out with a song by Corinne Campbell called Find Your Way. And this is the Bad One remix. So... Again, the Greatest Hits album has an orchestral uh, album as well as a remixes album. This is off the remix side of the album, um, again, called Find Your Way. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you for all the support. Um, thank you for subscribing and liking and commenting and, and all of that. Um, if there's any bands that you would like to see on future episodes, let us know, either comment on a Facebook status or send us a message or whatever, um, and we'll do our best to try to get them on the show. That's everything for this week. Just remember, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and you make the scene.
Don't you fall behind in shame 